Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, my friend? Honored to have you with me here on the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm glad you're listening. Another interview from the archives for you all. This is my interview with Simon Wettenhall. Simon Wettenhall was born in Australia and started his study of music with the piano. He heard a recording of the legendary Louis Armstrong, and this began his lifelong passion for the trumpet. After studying with two Australian masters of the orchestral trumpet, Wettenhall eventually found himself exploring the earlier music of New Orleans, the city that is unequivocally the birthplace of jazz. His devotion to the trumpet and early jazz led him to becoming a member of the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band featuring Woody Allen. But along the way, he has been involved with a diverse variety of groups, including Niagara, the Oceanic Orchestra, and many others. You're going to find that Simon is a man dedicated to his craft. He also expresses himself by composing and recording his own work. With the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, Simon Wettenall's trumpet and voice have been bringing the traditional music of New Orleans to music venues around America and Europe. As always, let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents. And now your host, Paul Leslie. It is with great pleasure that we welcome Mr. Simon Wettenhall trumpet player with the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band featuring Woody Allen. So first of all, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Mr. Wettenhall, I was hoping you could first tell us what types of music you heard around the house growing up. That's easy. It was mostly uh, classical music. My mother was a very good piano player and my sisters both played piano um, and one of them was also a violin player and the other one played piano and sang. So there was a lot of music going on around the house, and it was mostly classical. I was the renegade. And where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Melbourne, in Australia. I was reading that you began music studies on the piano. That's correct, yeah. What was it about the piano that drew you? Well, I didn't choose it, really. Um, It was chosen for me. We had a piano around the house that was pretty much uh, part of the plan that you would study some piano, you know, as an introduction to whatever else came later. And how did you find the trumpet? Well, actually, I wanted the trombone first. I was at a a boys' school that had a military component to it. We called it cadets. Rather than be a um, gun-toting cadet, I was more interested in the band, and uh, you had to apply to get into the band and indicate what instrument you wanted. I, I indicated that I wanted trombone, so there weren't any available, so I got a cornet. Very interesting. At what point did you decide that you were going to make music a professional career? Well, it was almost wasn't really a decision. It was like part necessity and part just like a natural evolution, because I actually was at art school 
But while I was at art school, I was playing all the time. I didn't really know which thing I wanted to do until um, probably until I was about 20. And I decided that I had to pick one thing, otherwise I was going to just be uh, in a state of confusion for the rest of my life. <laughs> as far as trumpet players, is there one in particular that is somewhat of a greater influence than the others? At various times there have been, but at this point there are so many trumpet players that I think are truly great. That cuts across all styles of music, really, and all periods of music. I wanted to know a little bit about how you discovered the New Orleans jazz, because that's becoming more and more an obscure type of music. How did you discover that style? Well, that's interesting, because in Australia, there was always a very strong interest in American jazz. In the time when I was, you know, really getting interested in music, there was a really thriving traditional jazz scene in Melbourne, where I grew up. Before I was really old enough to go to clubs or anything, but the kinds of bands that were playing were pretty much all bands playing music of the 20s, and some of them were kind of New Orleans revivalist bands after the model of George Lewis and Bunk Johnson bands, or later, you know, George Lewis and Kid Howard bands. These type of bands in Australia were really, I think, playing really well. Then there were the other more Chicago-orientated groups that would use a tuba, and then there were repertory groups that would play uh, different styles at different times of the band's career because most of these bands stayed together for long times because there was a lot of work. So I had the opportunity to hear a, a lot of these bands, you know, and there was and people took it very seriously. There were fights at the clubs between people who were, you know, Chicago faction guys against the New Orleans factions and everybody had derogatory names for their faction they didn't like and so on and so forth. It was very, very serious. So what brought you to the United States? I met a lady who I eventually married. Before we married, I came here and checked out the United States. And the first place I went to was Minneapolis. The scene there was fantastic. I met some great musicians there, and I played basically the whole time I was there. People who were to have a lot of influence over the way I was to develop over the next 10 or 12 years. You know, That was in about 1971 I went there. One of the groups that you performed with, the Oceanic Orchestra, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that group and some of the recordings you made with them. I should stress that at this point that the recordings I've indicated uh, are all basically my recordings. They're not released or anything like that. The things that I have available and I can, you know, I'm in the process of figuring out what I'm going to do with them. But yes, that band... I first got the idea of it in about 1987, and I got together some people and we started rehearsing, and the idea was not to try and recreate anything, but to try and play traditional music with contemporary arrangements, and also to do uh, contemporary pieces, you know, current pieces that were written recently that had a kind of a traditional or um, respect for some of the musical components of traditional music, but, you know, conceived in the modern context. Very interesting. When we were speaking with John Gill, it seems like he was kind of attempting to accomplish the same thing with some of his recordings. How did you get hooked up with Eddie Davis and that group of musicians? Eddie, I met when I first moved to New York. 
shortly thereafter I met Eddie. I'd heard him recommended very highly and I actually hired Eddie for some gigs that I had and we had great fun, you know, and so we always stayed in touch after that and every now and then he'd call me for a gig and I'd call him for a gig and we just always enjoyed each other's playing tremendously, I think. You've played with a great number of groups. Is there a group that you are particularly proud of? When I look back over all the groups I've played with, the thing that strikes me is that every one of them almost seemed to be taking some ridiculous chance on doing something that was unusual or in some way totally uncommercial and yet end up being very interesting, you know, to look back on and, and in many cases to listen to, you know, because you can hear definitely what's, what works musically and what is either somewhat dated or somewhat, you know, somewhat a failed experiment or whatever. Kind of jumping back to the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, is there a member in the band that you feel closer to? Obviously, I feel close to Eddie because we've known each other for so long. My personal approach to playing in groups is really just to submerge myself in the actual sound of the group and to try and think about my role in that context rather than analyze personalities or even think of personal relationships. Very interesting. One of the things that I also find interesting about the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band is the fact that you guys are able to bring this type of rare jazz that's becoming more and more obscure to different parts of the world. I know that you guys are about to embark on a tour into Europe. What places uh, have you played that stick out in your mind that you particularly enjoyed? Spain always seems to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's very interesting because, I mean, the Woody Allen band, I mean, it, it always gets a great reception and everybody seems to love it. I, I'm always surprised that people continue to like it to the degree that they do and, the, you know, the concerts continue to sell and everything because it's been going on now for over 10 years. That's a, a tribute in a way to Woody and everybody else's insistence on keeping things fresh and uh, working on new material and so on and so forth. But as far as places, to get back to your question, as far as places that I've really enjoyed playing, I, I, Spain always sticks out as, uh, in my memory, you know, as one of the great places we've played at. What was your impression of Woody Allen when you met him? I thought he was uh, very serious. That, that was really the impression I got. Took his craft very seriously. Well, yeah, absolutely. No question. When someone goes to see the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band performing, what is it that you hope that the listener gets out of the experience? Intellectually, of course, I, I would hope that they see the uh, great qualities of New Orleans music. You know, and I would hope that we perform it convincingly enough for those qualities to come through and impress the listener with their uh, their current relevance. And also, anybody who is impressed by that and sees the relevance of those things will see how pretty much everything is built on that. But they'll also see that there is a direct connection between European music and African music that is encapsulated in New Orleans jazz. You know, that's a very important thing for people to understand. The artists who created New Orleans jazz certainly understood that. There's absolutely no question of that. So you kind of view that music that was created in New Orleans as being kind of a fusion between these two different cultures. I've never heard anybody convincingly rebut that. It's just too obvious, you know. What is it that you like about music? I think music kind of 
contains within it its own species of time. You know, at any point, if you're listening to music and you're really free of any kind of distraction and you are focused, and the same thing if you're playing music, then you are in a different uh, time frame and you can exist for a minute within that time while the music lasts if you maintain you know, your freedom in that time slot you can experience another reality, you know. I think that's a wonderful thing, you know. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. This was something I never had a chance to ask the other artists, and I kind of regret it. I've noticed that the billing for the band seems to change. I was watching the documentary Wild Man Blues, and I saw that sometimes it's documented as the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, and then sometimes as the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band. I know that might seem kind of trivial, but is there any reason for that? I have no idea. It probably has to do with uh, the local promoters and the degree of communication they have with the central office that books the tours. And of course, you know, the tours have been going on for uh, quite a while now, so different people have handled them, I think. I really don't know. could be any one of a number of things. I have two final questions for you. One seemingly lighthearted and one a little more serious. My first question... What is your all-time favorite meal? <laughs> that's the light-hearted one, right? Yeah, that's the light-hearted one. It always seems to reveal something, though. Well, I have to say, I like brown rice and vegetables. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's what I like, brown rice and lentils and uh, vegetables. Well, it's a healthy choice. This broadcast is going out all over the world. My final question, I was hoping you could tell us what you would like to say to the world. What would you like to say to all those people that are listening in? That's not a lighthearted question. I'd say um, listen to live music every chance you get. If you don't have the opportunity to listen to live music, listen to recorded music. And uh, if you don't have the opportunity to do that, sing. Very good, and create your own. Well, Mr. Wetnall, I thank you very much for this interview. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.